everybody. Go ahead and grab a seat. And when you sit down, let's give an applause to God this morning. He's a great God. Amen. We're so glad you're here. Welcome. Welcome to the second service. We had a great first service this morning, and we are so good, glad to see you and glad that you made it in the midst of the holidays and hoping that you're surviving. I know it's a busy time, and you're, you've are you been running at breakneck speed, so maybe this morning, just for a few moments, you can kind of catch your breath and just enjoy being in the presence of God. We are excited that you are here. I pray that you had a peace-filled Christmas. And I, I got to tell you, the Christmas here at EBC was just phenomenal, and it was it was amazing here because of you guys. And uh, I said this to the first service, I want to say it to you, you guys have served in so many ways, just above and beyond through the Christmas holidays. I want to say thanks to, to the men who came and helped us with our parking lot, a number of our guys within the church, we had some asphalt hot mix that was delivered, and you guys helped with that. And Lake EBC is, is kind of subsiding right now. It, it's just moat EBC right now, okay? We didn't have enough to fix everything out there, but, but we couldn't have done it without those guys who helped us on that day. Um, we had a, a big event where Community Link, we hosted the Community Link event. So many of you volunteered for that. So many of you came up in our EBC Cafe team and you served the volunteers for the uh, Community Link event. Thank you for that. That was a huge success because of you. And, uh, and God using you. And I just, I'm just so grateful to so many of you. I'm thankful to our EBC worship team, the, the ones that served and the ones that served regularly, but they served on Christmas Eve and, and had to make preparations for that. Guys, all that takes time, you know. It takes investments of time that people are, are putting into uh, their church family. And, and I'm just grateful as a pastor to get to be a part of what you guys are doing around here and how you're getting involved our ushers and our greeters and our parking team and our student ministry team uh, as they are ministering right now to, to our teenagers and, and, and our children's ministry team. So many of you serve in so many different ways. You got involved in Operation Christmas Child. That was a great success this year. And, and, and our audio and media team and those of you who helped with our baptisms. I mean, there's just so many things that go on throughout the week here at EBC and you guys make it happen. And, uh, and so, again, I can't thank you enough being a pastor of a church where we don't have to beg people to, to get involved. We don't have to beg people to give or anything like that. You guys, we just tell you what's needed and you step up. And so I just, I just say thank you as a, as a pastor. I also want to report to you um, just our, our first gift offering that we talked about last week and that many of you brought. And, and I just have a great praise report for you. Um, we raised $11,000 for our first gift offering last Sunday. You can applaud to God. Some of you that weren't here or maybe you're new here and you don't know what that is, that is a gift that goes above and beyond our regular giving of our tithes and offerings. The first gift goes towards everything regarding EBC Go going into the next year, 2014. It goes into church planting. It's going to go into our EBC Go uh, Restore project where we're going to be uh, redoing and actually building a house for a, 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 a family that's in need, um, Lord willing, this upcoming year. It goes into local missions. It goes into missions all over the world. Our work in Montreal that we're looking to engage this next, this next month, um, our work in Laos, our work in, uh, in Honduras. Guys, thank you for responding to that. It's still not too late to give towards that. Designate that towards first gift. And by the way, just, and again, I just have to report to you because we just, God's just blessing EBC in so many ways through you. Our total gifts last week, including first gift, our tithes and offerings, land gifts, and all of that was over $30,000 on one Sunday. And I just rejoice with you. Praise God for that. I rejoice because as I said, we don't have to beg. We don't beg around it. We don't do that. We wouldn't do that anyway because that's just not the way we function. Um, we just tell you what it is. We trust that God puts it on your heart. And so God is blessing EBC. I fully believe that God blessed us in the other areas of our tithes and offering and is blessing our church financially because you are so generous in the area of missions. I fully believe that. I really believe that. I've always believed that, that as we give as a church and as we give as a people, God blesses generosity. Amen. God does that. We are pre This sets us up financially. We are in a, in a great place financially as we go into 2014. 
as we're taking those next steps towards getting out on our property on Bailey Boswell. We've been uh, just I want you to know that that our team has 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 been interviewing different architect teams and we're, we're talking with them now. So things are moving. Things are happening. But all that couldn't happen without your faithfulness. And so just thank you, church. We love you. We our staff is so blessed to get to serve with you. I had a great Christmas, and, and, and our family just enjoyed time together. We made great memories together. But I would tell you my favorite Christmas memory this year, outside of spending time with my family, was last Sunday morning in our second service, in your service, when we baptized Craig and Gail Backus. We, we, and they, they're here. They're new members in our church. Their family's here. And we got to baptize them. That was just a, a, just a tremendous thing. And we also baptized Jason's wife. And uh, Jason was another one that was baptized this last Sunday. And as we're, st- we're going to be starting a brand new series starting next week called Labels. And we're going to be talking about, when we talk about labels, we're going to be talking about our identity in Christ. And what God says we are. And who God says we are. And whenever I was talking with Jason, just about his life being changed, when we baptized Jason last Sunday... I, I love the fact that we're baptizing in our Christmas service because it just represents so perfectly why Jesus came into this world. He came to change lives, right? That's why he was born into this world and became a man and died for us. And he lived and died and died on the cross. And, and, and when we baptized Jason and Craig and Gail, uh, what we were saying is this is who they were in Jesus Christ. They're buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, and they've been raised to walk in what, church? A brand new what? Life. Newness of life. That's what it's all about. And I was just loving last week just talking with Jason some before we were baptizing him in between services. And Jason and I had been corresponding some. And I'll tell you about that here in just a minute. But, but, but he just told me just a little bit of his story. And I didn't even get half of his story. But he just said, he said, I'll tell you, Bart. He said, when I first started coming to EBC... Um, I was invited by Melanie, who's sitting right up here, and uh, she happens to be his fiance now as well. And uh, he said, I was invited by Melanie, and I really wasn't into all this God stuff. I'm just letting you know. And he said, in fact, when I came, I was kind of, I was just going to appease Melanie. And he said, I would come, and I would listen, and, I w- and he said, I would even be thinking, come on, man. You know, come, you know this God, Jesus, all, really? Are you serious about this? And, and so this is kind of what was going on in Jason's life at this point. And he said, and these are his words. He said, I really wasn't interested. I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in Melanie. Is what I, and, uh, but, um, but he said, you know, he said, I, was, I will tell you, I was headed down a wrong path in, in my life at that point. And he said, I was really hardened towards the gospel. I was really hardened towards any of this. I did not have Christ in my life as a foundation. And he said, so I continued to make one bad decision right after another. And he said, as I continued making those bad decisions, I made some unethical, and, and he even he said this. This is his story, and, and he will tell you his story, and I love that about him. He said, I made some unethical decisions, and they were also illegal decisions, decisions that would cost me. In fact, it was one of those decisions that cost me in such a way that I would be arrested, I would be convicted, and I would be incarcerated. He said, Bart, he said, it was at that point in my life where I realized I was the lowest in my life that I had ever been. He said, I was at this breaking point in my life. He said, I hated my my life. I hated who I was, what I was like. And he said, I couldn't get any lower. And he said this last, he said, man, I needed a change. I needed a change in my life. And, And so Jason started writing letters. To me, and we were kind of corresponding back and forth a little bit, and and he was, he said, I, I, I've got time now, man, to read the Bible. I have a Bible now. I don't even know where to start. Where do I start? And so I would write back to him and 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 tell him this is a good place for you to read. Uh, Melanie would give him some some you know encouragement about certain things. I would I uh, I would give books for her to give to him, and and he started just soaking all of this in and. And, and, and just say, you know, this is what you should read, and this is what's going on. So God was just really working in his life. And then through a series of, of really fortunate circumstances, if you want to look at it that way, really God orchestrated events, the way we'll call it, 
Jason was placed in a particular section of the prison that he was in called the God Pod. And in the God Pod, this is where God began to get a hold of his life, is what he told me. And he was with other inmates that were there that, that wanted a life change as well, that wanted to encounter God. And, and so they had iron sharpening iron time where, where they would, would have Bible studies together. And it was in that place, Jason said, that's where I came to faith in Christ. He said, that's where I was at the darkest place in my life. And he would keep writing to me and we would write back and forth and he would let me know. And these are the things he would say, I can't wait to come and be in a church family. I can't wait to come to church. And see, a lot of times we kind of take all that for granted, right? But he'd say, I can't wait to come and be around godly people. I can't wait to come and be a part of a family of Christ. He would tell me those kinds of things. And, and so it was, it was getting close for us to have our baptism service. So I called Jason and I said, hey, we're going to be baptizing this upcoming Sunday. If you're in town, we'd love to baptize you, brother. And, 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 you know, and we've talked about it before. This is what it means and this is what all of this. And he said, I'm in. I cannot wait. He was so fired up to get baptized this past Sunday. He said, I, I, he said, I was just, man, I, he said, I was, I was excited all week long, you know. And he said, the, the, the enemy was after me all week, trying to discourage me in all kinds of different ways. He said, even the morning that I was going to be getting baptized, my dog got out and ran down the street. And then he said, I just said, devil, is that all you got? You know, and, and he said, because I'm going through with this, you know. That dog will be all right, but I'm going through with this. And right as, as I was getting ready to baptize Jason right before this service, he said, he said, I can't wash away all these scars or all these tattoos that I have or all the things, you know, like that in my life. But he said, one thing I know for sure is that all of my sins have been washed away. That's what he said. And I love that because that's what EBC is about, right? I mean, that's what our Christian faith is about. It's about new beginnings. It's about fresh starts. It's about God changing our lives. It's about, it's about being open and transparent about who we were and, and acknowledging that this is, that might have been who I was, but this is who I am now because I've had an encounter with God. And I just praise God for changing lives. And, and again, your investments in the kingdom of God by your faithfulness, lives are being changed because of that. And I pray that maybe if you haven't followed in believer's baptism, that you would get as excited about identifying with Christ in that kind of way that Jason did. Because he was pumped up. There was no like arm wrestling to get baptized. I mean, he was like, I want people to know that this is who I was and this is who I now am in Jesus Christ. And I love that we're starting this series next week called Labels. It's called Labels. And as we look in at this series, we're going to be... We're going to be talking about our identity in Christ and, and, and that you are who God says you are. You're who God says you are. You may have been something in the past. You may have this label on you in your life, but you are now a new creation with Christ, that you are who God says you are. When you begin to understand your identity in Christ, when you start to understand who you are in Christ because of the grace of God in your life, that will begin to dictate the way that you live your life. Because a lot of people, they don't understand who they are in Christ, so they continue along the same old pathway that they've been in. When you begin to understand who you are in Christ, you also will find how significant you are because of Him. And so today what I want to do is I want to take you to the book of Genesis. We're going to do kind of a, an introduction into the series that starts next week. And so if you're here, it's a great day to be here. I want to I just talk to you about a process that God begins to take us through when he wants to bring about change in our lives. And a common question that I get and that I know Pastor Randy gets, that, we, that if you're in the ministry, we often will get this question. Here's a question. One of the most common questions that we get is this, is how can I change my life? That's, that's, that's what people want to know. How can I, how can I change my life? And, and, and a lot of times this is a common question that's especially provoked to the coming of the new year, right? We, we've kind of looked at 2013. We've put it past us. We're ready to move forward. How can I change my life going forward? And, uh, and, and, and maybe even a more specific question, 
to ask you is this, what would you like to change about yourself? What would you like to change? How can I change my life? Some of you would say, I'm not really happy with my life. I don't really like this particular aspect of my life or the direction that I'm going with in my life. What would you like to change about yourself? Maybe it's an attitude that you struggle with. Maybe it's a, some kind of attitude that you have maybe with your spouse or an attitude that comes out with your children. And you just, you just don't like that about yourself and you feel guilty about it afterwards. Maybe it's a habit that's been having negative impact upon you regarding your health. And it's something that you know that God's been trying to speak to you about in your life. And you've been resisting that and you just haven't wanted to change. But, or you've wanted to change, but you're kind of like Paul in the sense where Paul says, the things that, that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I do, I, you know, I, I don't want to do those things. And you're kind of feeling like that. For some of you, it could be something about the way that you look. You say, I'd like to change this, or, you know, I, I don't really like this about the way that my body looks, or, or you struggle with your weight. There's something in that, there's some kind of weakness that, that whenever I asked that question, it came up automatically for you. You're just not happy about something that, that is in your life, and, 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 and you know that, that it's something that perhaps needs to change in your life. For some of you, it could be the, the reason that you want something to change is because of an identity issue that you have that we will address in the coming series that maybe it's already changed and you don't even realize it because you don't understand your identity in Christ. Now, all of us, if we're honest, maybe there are some things in our life because we're still broken, we still have the sanctification process that's happening in our life, we would all like to probably change in certain ways. I know that there are certain attitudes that creep into my life that I don't like. When those things emerge, things that happen because of my flesh, some of us will will try whatever it takes to bring about certain changes in our lives. I mean, especially, again, at the beginning of the year, this is when we're really open to change and we're really susceptible to looking at these certain things that might facilitate change. And so we'll try all kinds of things. We'll go to seminars thinking that that's going to bring a change in my life. And, and maybe God can use something like that. We'll try different kinds of activities. We'll try different books or listening to podcasts. We'll, uh, you know, we'll try uh, maybe the crazy and latest fad diet that's out there. We'll be mesmerized by infomercials like, I've got to get these hip-hop abs, you know, whatever it takes. You know, you didn't know I could do that, did you? All right. And... Uh, Whatever it takes, I've got to get that, you know. And so we kind of get to this place where we're focused in what a lot of times we're focused all in on. Do you know what we're focused in on? The externals. That's what we focus in on, church. We focus in on all of the external kinds of things. And um, some of you haven't been able to get past my hip-hop avenue. But, but, but here's the thing. What God really wants to do before the external ever gets changed, is God wants to do a work internally. God wants to begin to bring changes about inside. The, we focus on the outward behavior, but God is looking at the inward attitude. God is looking at, at what's happening inside our hearts. We look at the actions, God looks at the inside. For lasting change, lasting change, you've got to have a change on the inside. Guys, what that requires is it requires God's help. It requires God's intervention, and this morning, for the rest of our for, of our time, I, I just want to I want to look at a portion of the story of Jacob, and and this is a great story, and it, I love the story because of the honesty of the scriptures to show how really messed up this guy was. I'm going to tell you about it because he was really fouled up in his way of looking at life, in his in his way of thinking about things, and. What, what we, we find in Genesis chapter 32, turn there with me, and I'll, let me give you some context about what we're going to read, and let me give you context about Jacob's story, because some of you maybe are newer at, at being a believer, and you don't know the story of Jacob, so I want to give you uh, just a little fill-in on what he's like, and Jacob is going to be at a crossroads in his life where he would have an encounter with God where he would never be the same again. He would be dramatically different because he encounters God in a powerful kind of way. And what do we know about Jacob? By the way, there are just great principles that we can take away from this story. I wouldn't be sharing it with you today. What do we know about Jacob? We know that he had a tremendous character flaw that really was embedded in what his identity was. It was, it was in his name. 
Jacob's character flaw was that he was a master manipulator. He was a, his, he was a cheater of people. He was always, I mean, he was always taking advantage of somebody. His name literally means this. It literally means grabber. It means, and, and what did that mean? It means that he's grabbing whatever he can for his own purposes, for his own way, and, and, and he will run over anybody else to get what he wants for his own purposes. Everything in life was all about him. His name literally means this, deceiver. How would you like to be walking around with that? And, and, and again, names back in this context, in this age, in this period of time, your name was everything. Your, what, your name was, was, was something that spoke volumes about who you were and what you were like. And so he has this, this name, Swindler. He has this name, Manipulator. That's his name that he's, that he's going with. And, and it wasn't just that he was this cheater of people or, or always just trying to take from other people what he wanted and would knock anybody down. In, in the process of doing that, Jacob would literally ruin every relationship that he was in and, 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 and mess up his relationships because he was so selfish. And he was, he was always cheating somebody. And when he would cheat them, they would get very upset with him and they would, they would hate him because he would do this. And, because, and, 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 and this would happen in his life on more than one occasion. Literally, when he was born, he had a twin brother that he was born with. His twin brother was, was born before him. And the scripture says that as they were born, Jacob was, his hand was holding on to his brother's heel, Esau. He was holding on, like, like trying to, because the, the firstborn had this, this certain blessing on their life in this culture. And, and literally, he was holding on to his brother's heel, like trying to take his brother's spot. If you know anything about his story, he literally would take his brother's spot a little later on in the story. What do we know about Jacob? We know this, that he was always getting into trouble because of his deception. He was always burning himself in relationships with other people. And this experience that we'll read about that he has transformed his life. He was never the same again. We'll find, before we read this, we'll find that Jacob's environment was one where there was a lot of deception. His environment was just kind of like if you look at Abraham, who was his great-grandfather, and you look at Isaac, or excuse me, it was his his uh, grandfather, you look at Isaac, his father, you'll find that both of those men, in certain cases, you, the, the scripture records that they were deceptive with others in certain kinds of ways. Now, here's the thing. God still loved them. God still used them in spite of their sinfulness. But, but they would deceive out of self-preservation. They would deceive others, and so they lied to a king over here just so that the king wouldn't, wouldn't kill them and take their wife. And, 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 and then they would lie in, over in this situation, and, and this was just ongoing. And so what, what Jacob grew up in was, was really a lineage that had a lot of dysfunction. It had a lot of, of deception, a lot of manipulation in this family. Okay, In fact, his mother, Rebecca, you'll find that, that she would, would even deceive her own husband on Jacob's behalf to get the father's blessing, to get, to get Isaac's blessing over him. I mean, when I was reading Genesis this week, and I'm, I'm reading through Genesis right now, and as I was reading Genesis, and I'm reading all the stories, and I'm really watching for how dysfunctional these families are, I mean, it was reading like an episode of Dallas or something as I'm reading this, okay? I don't know the new Dallas. I'm just, I'm thinking of the old Dallas that I kind of grew up watching where, where J.R. was always, you know, cheating Bobby out of something. And Bobby was trying to cheat J.R. And, and they were always at odds. But they were family, but they were messed up, right? And that's what this family was like. I mean, they were messed up. And when you have an environment like that, and you have a, a selfish sin nature, which we all possess, that is a dangerous combination. That is exactly where we find Jacob at this point. So Jacob's in cahoots with his own mother. His own mother deceives Isaac into giving him his family blessing. And I won't go in. Just read it for yourself on how she does that. It's really kind of comical. Um, but it was an incredibly important period of, of time. In this, It was important in this period of time to receive the father's blessing. To, to actually be prayed over and to be blessed by your father was a big deal. And, 
And so his, so Jacob ends up getting this blessing. It was rightfully Esau's blessing. And, and so his brother Esau, who was a manly kind of man, Jacob, Scripture even says, was a little, little more effeminate, like, okay, Esau was a hunter, and, and he was a man's man. He probably had the big duck dynasty beard is what I'm thinking, okay? And, and now, now Esau is beside himself when he realizes that Isaac has blessed Jacob and not him out of deception. This is how messed up this is. Esau vows to kill Jacob. He says, I, when my father passes away, I will find comfort in knowing that I will soon be murdering my brother. You see, I'm telling you, it's an episode right there. Messed up. But this is exactly what you'll find in the scriptures. So, so because Rebecca finds out about this, that this is going to happen, she's like, Jacob, you've got to get out of here. Your brother is going to live to get old. So she sends him off to a man named Laban's house, who was also a member of his family. Again, I don't have time to go into all of this, but let's just say that there was a lot more deception and a lot more dysfunction that would happen in that relationship where Jacob would go. Jacob would also begin to deceive Laban, um, and uh, he ends up marrying um, not just one but two daughters, okay? Uh, and again, I'm telling you, it's messed up. He marries these daughters there. They are deceiving one another. It is, it is just scandalous, all the things that are happening. Now, I know that you guys just came out of the holidays and you've been in close quarters with your family over the last few weeks, right? And maybe you're still doing that, and so maybe I should be careful with what I say, and maybe you should be careful as I say this. But here, a lot of times I'll talk to people after the holidays, and they're like, man, I just do not feel good about my family after they leave. Man, my family is messed up. Well, what I'm hoping to do today is to make you feel better about your family, okay, by showing you this example. If you'll see, you'll feel a lot better about your family. But here's the beauty of this, and I, I kid about that, but here's the seriousness of this. I, want, I really want you to hear this. If God can use them, why do you think God recorded this in the Scripture? Do you? If God can use them, if God can change them, what do you think he's trying to tell you? He can use you, and he can change you. God uses messed up people. Amen? You're looking at one of them right here. He uses messed up people. That's why this is recorded. And so, so now Jacob is married. And he has had many favorable situations happen because of the blessing of God in his life in spite of his still, his deception and his deceptive ways, God has still been blessing him. And now he, God has still blessed him, but yet also you should know that Jacob has manipulated his ways and has often found himself in favorable situations through his manipulation. But every time this would happen, he would have to run because he would pick somebody off and they were wanting to hurt him. So now he's on the run again. He had to run from Esau. And now he's running from his father-in-law, Laban. His brother, his own brother, hates him because he's a chief. His father-in-law despises him now because he's a chief. And here's the deal. By the way, a lot of people think this, that if they run, they think that if they run from one situation to the next situation, if I could just go over here, if I could just be with this person, or if I could just go to that church, or if I could just go to that job, you see, a lot of times what we think is that if we just change locations, we think that all of our problems are going to be fixed. But there's a problem with that theory. The problem with the theory is this, that we are often our own greatest enemy. And no matter where you go, you know it, right? You're still there. Which means the problem's following you. So at some point, you have to decide, I'm going to stop this running stuff, and I'm going to have to face what it is that's going on in my life head on. And you're going to find that Jacob is going to be at this place in his life. We come to the pivotal point in his life 
where he's about to meet his brother Esau. His brother Esau finds out that he's on the run, and now Esau is pursuing him. Esau, as you know, is wanting to take him out and has vowed to kill him. Jacob is afraid. He's thinking, I've got to find some other way to to manipulate my way out of this. And so he's going to try to bribe his brother Esau by sending, this is what kind of guy he was. I'm going to send my family on ahead of me, okay? I'm going to show him that that I have family now and maybe he'll have some mercy on me. In fact, I'll split the family up. And maybe if he just takes out one wife, I'll still have another wife. I mean, that was his thinking at this point. Messed up, okay? And he was just at this place. By the way, his his, his father-in-law had just pursued him. He's being pursued on both sides. So here he finds himself in the desert, physically exhausted, running all of his life from every problem that he ever faced. Now, finally, he is at the end of himself. He can no longer manipulate and control the situation on his own. He is alone. Have you ever been at that spot? You've got nowhere else to go. That's what Jacob said about his situation. nowhere else to go. All of his worldly possessions that he had been cheating and manipulating for were likely about to be wiped out by Esau in a moment. I want you to take note of the fact that Jacob is powerless at this point to control his fate. This was an uncomfortable position for him to be in. He collapses into a deep sleep on the banks of the Jabbok River there. And with his father-in-law behind him, his brother out ahead of him, closing in on him, Jacob has run, he has manipulated, he has cheated, he changes locations, he's done everything he possibly could do, and now he is at the end of himself. You know, God will often bring us to that point in our lives to facilitate change. How does he begin to do this? Look with me in verse 24 of Genesis 32. I want to read it to you, and then I'm going to give you some principles to take out of here tonight. He says this. He says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. Remember, he sent his family out. He sent one over this direction. He sent one over here. He's like, I'm I'm just going to send them, kind of scatter them, and hope that it all works out here. This left Jacob all, say it with me, church, all what? Alone. Alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and he wrenched it out of its socket. And then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, this is a big moment in his life. He replied, what? Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. And then then he did what? He blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury his hip. So how does God begin to bring about change in Jacob's life? How does God begin to bring about change in your life? You, you were thinking about the thing that maybe you'd like to change, the thing that you don't like. Well, what it often starts with is this first thing that we find in Jacob's life. It often starts with a crisis. We come to a crisis in our life. Look at verse 24. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. That's a striking passage to me. He is alone. He feels the depth of his loneliness at this point. He's all alone, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, and I'll explain that in a moment, he touched Jacob's hip and he wrenched it out of its socket. In verse 28, if you, were, if you keep reading as we read, it tells us that Jacob was actually wrestling with God in this story. He's wrestling with the angel of the Lord. But it was when he was all alone, having done everything he could do do to secure his own safety, 
He'd done everything that he could do to manipulate things. He'd exhausted all of his resources. Everything that he had cheated for and manipulated for at this particular point was about to be destroyed by Esau. It was when he was at this place of crisis, at this dark place in his life, this place where he had been running all of his life. He couldn't run anymore. There was nowhere else to go. His father-in-law was behind him. His brother was out ahead of him. They were closing in. He'd already had an encounter with his, with his father-in-law at this particular time. And, and, and again, I mean, it was, just, it was just one crisis right after another for him. An unidentified man, Scripture tells us, accosted Jacob when he was alone at this place. As I was studying this passage, as I was reading this and looking at this, one of the things that I found to be very intriguing to me, and I'd never really thought of it this way, was the fact that Jacob did not necessarily initiate contact with God here. God initiated contact with Jacob. See that? God came to him in his brokenness. God had been pursuing Jacob as well all of his life. You'll find in many instances when Jacob would would begin to speak about the blessings of God in his life, he would never talk about, about Jehovah being his God. He would always say, the God of my fathers, the God of my ancestors, the God of others around me. And now here he is, and, he, and God has been pursuing him because God has a work that he wants to do in his life. God's been pursuing you as well. That's called his hesed love. His pursuing love was coming after. And he comes to him at this point, and it says this, that they engaged in a battle. A wrestling match with God. I mean, we read this and we see that it says that, that God says you have overcome not only man, but you've overcome God. And we know this, that, and we'll show you this in a minute, that God could have squashed Jacob like a bug at this moment if he wanted to. This is not uh, about, the story is not about Jacob being more powerful with God. The story is about the fact that he's wrestling not only with himself, but he's been wrestling with God his entire life. He's been running from God. He's been running from problems. He's been running from situations. And now he's going to have to man up and face himself and face God. God comes to him and it says that the battle was a long battle. It was an all-night battle as he's wrestling with God. And, 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 and it says they struggled. I want to ask you a question. What is it that you have been wrestling with in your life? What problem is it that you're struggling and you're so sick and tired of that problem in your life. And it's like you've tried to run from it. You've tried to manipulate it. You've tried to, to you know, maybe ignore it. What is it that's in your life that, that, that has you sick and tired? Maybe you're just sick and tired of being what? Sick and tired, you know. You're at that place. What is the crisis in your life? Maybe it's this internal struggle and you're just feeling torn apart. Maybe it's a relationship issue that just keeps coming up and haunting you in that particular situation there. I think it's important to notice that God didn't create the situation that Jacob was in. The crisis wasn't created by God, but it's important to notice that God will work in our problems. Right? Even when we blow it. Even when we mess up, even when we, when we mess our lives up because of some of our own foolishness, God can certainly use our mess-ups to get our attention. And this is what he's doing in Jacob's life. Have you ever considered the fact that maybe God may be just allowing you to come to a place in your life through your own decision, having done things your way for most of your life, and now you find yourself in a crisis, and maybe he's trying to show you that Without him in your life, or without him in that particular circumstance in your life, that it's going to be futile. It's going to be pointless. Because a, a, a breaking is coming if it's not already come. A brokenness is going to happen in your life. The point is this, is that God often uses crises in our lives to get our attention. For, for most of us, and I would say that this is certainly me falling into this category, for some of us, it's the only way God can get something through our thick skulls. Can I get an amen? I mean, that, that's how it is for me. I won't speak for you. But it's like a crisis has to happen. 
even when I know the right thing to do, even when I know I need to do this, you know, it's like not until a crisis happens that I realize, all right, I need to do something about this. Some of you may find yourself in a situation like that, or maybe one's looming, and I would say, you know, maybe you're depressed about that. I would say congratulations to you, all right? Congratulations that you are in a crisis now, and here is why I say that. It's because God is perhaps wanting to do a work in the midst of that crisis to bring a transformation in your life that has been needing to happen for some time now. God's wanting to do something. I think, again, of Jason Jason White's testimony, so powerful. We're going to get it on video. We're going to get it on video, and we're going to use that this week. We kind of ran short on time for different reasons, but I want you to hear his whole story at some point. We may use it in our identity series coming up. I think of Jason's story. I think of my own story when it came to an area that needed to change in my life regarding my health, regarding my weight, as it was out of control in my life, and it was was something that, you know, I, I just was so sick of in my life, but yet it was the thing that I would turn to, and it was like this horrible self-perpetuating cycle of defeat that I found myself in over and over again. Let me tell you what will bring about and facilitate some change in your life. At the age of 40, having to have a heart cath because you're having chest pain on a regular basis, having your life insurance company not renew your life insurance because, you know, of your weight, and that's where I was, that's what I was dealing with. All at the same time that my brother was, my brother-in-law was in the last, last days of his life battling cancer. And, and, and all of this is coming down and crashing down around me all at one time. And, and, and knowing this, that my family is going to need me more now than they have ever need me. Let me tell you something. God will get a brother's attention for things like that. This has got to change. I had come to the end of myself. End of myself. I had tried to manipulate that thing and that that situation in my life in so many different ways. And it's not like God just zaps you and all of a sudden you're fit. There's a cooperation part involved that we'll talk about here in a sec. But, But here's the thing. You have to come to the place where you're at the end of yourself. You're like, I've tried everything. God, I've tried everything. And I am at a place of brokenness in my life where I will will allow you to do whatever needs to be done in my life to facilitate some transformation. Here's something I really want you to capture this today. Listen to this today. We will often never change until the pain greater than the fear of change. Did you catch that? We often will never change until the pain or the crisis or whatever it is that you're in becomes greater than the fear of changing or taking steps forward. It's like, okay, and this is where Jacob was at, I can't go back, I can't go back to Laban and live there with him, I can't move forward Um, I've got nowhere else to go. I'm at the end of myself. It's a crisis. Jacob struggled all night with God. The pain was so bad, he finally had to do something. And so he wrestled with God at this point. Here's the next thing, if you're taking some notes, that we find in this process of transformation is God will use commitment. He uses commitment. And let me explain this. Then the man said in verse 26, then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. He's saying, let go of me. Let go, you know. And, and again, you have to know, this is the angel of the Lord. This is the same angel of the Lord that would smite people for certain things, right? Okay? He would take, so do we really think that the point of this story is that God couldn't at any moment just do whatever he wanted to do in this battle with Jacob? No. God was not overcome in this sense as if Jacob was more powerful than Jehovah God himself. He's wrestling with God in this situation, and God's saying, let me go. The morning's coming, and let me go. And Jacob is saying this. What does he say? I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is that? That is a commitment. That is a tenacity. That is a, that is a relentless 
holding on to of God at this point. I will not let go of you, God, in this. I have nothing and no one else to turn to. I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. I'm sticking with this. There's a stubbornness to that. See, God can even take some of our bad character flaws and use them for good at this point. Hope sent me this image this week, and and, and I don't really know why she sent it to me. But it says this year, thousands of men will die from stubbornness. And someone decided to tag, and I'm guessing was a man. (laughs) No, we won't. See, God can even use stubbornness. God can, and, and so he's holding on there. I don't know why Hope sent that to me, but she sent it to me this week. And, and the fact is, God often will get our attention, but after he's gotten our attention, we'll often wait before anything happens in the situation because there's a time where, where he wants to see if we will keep resting, sticking with him, if we will keep holding on. Many people miss God's best in their life because they give up too soon, whether it's in marriage situation or it's a situation where there's another relationship that's broken and and Jacob is showing here I'm committed to this struggle I'm not giving up until God you do something about this burden in my life and you turn it into this blessing I'm not giving up and often we want change and God wants to change us but a lot of times it just takes some time it takes time it took years probably to get yourself into the mess that you might be in. You didn't develop all these habits overnight. And it took years of perhaps bad choices and mistakes. You didn't develop your personality overnight. What, what's, again, interesting about Jason's story is, yes, he comes to faith in Christ, but this doesn't negate the consequences of his action prior to, and he's dealing with that, and he recognizes that, but he's going to let God use that. He's going to let God work that in his life. It takes commitment to a sanctification process. It's a process that God takes us through. Paul writes this in Galatians 6, 9. He says, and, and I want us to read this out loud, church. Can we say it out loud together? And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap, say it with me, if we do not what? Give up. That is that commitment. That's that, that's that holding on. That's that holding on to God. He's saying, hang in there. Be committed to getting God's best. Let me give you the third thing third phase of his transformation, God brought him to a place where he was going to have to confess and own up to who he was. We might call it today owning it, all right? Instead of passing the buck, instead of denying it, instead of, you know, not wanting to actually deal with it, he's going to have to own it. And so, now let me ask you, did God know all things? Did God know Jacob's name? Why do you think God asked Jacob what his name was? Did God need to be enlightened about his name? What was Jacob? What was he doing with Jacob right here? He wants to show him what? This is who you are. You're going to admit it. What is your name? He says, the man asked him. And he replied, and this was a turning point in Jacob's life. I truly believe this. Jacob had to say this. He had to say, my name is Caesar. He could probably also say, my name is Runner. My name is Coward. Because this is kind of what my M.O. has been like in life. How would you like it if your name, if you were known by others by your greatest character flaw? How'd you like that? Hey, what's your name? Well, my, my name is Glutton. It's nice to meet you, you know. What's your name? My name's Lazy. I'm, gl- I'm so glad to meet you, Lazy. And uh, what's your name? My name's Rage. Okay, you know, and uh, my name's Lust. Why are you looking at me like that? You know, whatever. Okay, whatever it may be. And, and, and what, he's, what he's saying here is he's trying to get him to acknowledge it. He wants to get him to admit this. He, he's, he's trying to say, Jacob, if you're ever going to change, you have to admit this is what you have become. This is who you are. You have to acknowledge it. You can't live in denial any longer about this. And and, and by the way, whenever you tell God who you are, can I just tell you, God's not shocked. 
God knows who you are. God knows everything you've ever done. He knows everything you're going to do. Yet he still loves you, right? What is he trying to do when he gets us to confess? He's trying to get us to own it. Because we know we won't change until we acknowledge that we have a problem. We have to stop making excuses. This was a humbling experience for Jacob to admit this to God. And, you know, Scripture says this, if you're too prideful to do that, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to what? The humble. When you're humble enough to actually say, God, this is what I have been like, this is what I'm doing, God steps in and his grace steps in. You know, this is a story, honestly, about God's grace in Jacob's life. Did Jacob deserve the blessing of God? No. Did Jacob receive the blessing of God because of God's grace? He was even spared in this wrestling match with God because of God's grace. God could have squashed him at any moment. God could have put him in an arm bar. He never would have gotten out of, okay? And so this is what's happening here. So he, he admits this, and, 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 and it's a beautiful story in the sense that God doesn't crush Jacob. In his grace, he's, he's going to bring about change. And so here's the, the final thing. If you're taking some notes, he brings us to this place of where we're in, we're in crisis. And then we, we, can, we continue along in commitment. And, and then we come to this place of acknowledging we have a problem and confession and saying, I don't like this, God. This is what I've been. And, and now it's going to require some cooperation on your part. It's going to require that you get involved in this sense where God begins to step in. You allow him. You cooperate with him. God wants to bless you in your life. Look what he says in verse 28. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called, what's the name? Israel. Because you have fought with God and with men and have won. And again, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is God's grace. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel. Now, where you'll also find right here is this. How do we know that, again, we know God could have crushed Jacob at this moment. Jacob knew that he could have been crushed at this moment. What does Jacob even say? He says, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been what? Spared. He knew that God could have hurt him worse than he did at this point. God was going to do something here. This, the moment he began to cooperate with God, he began to change. This is why he says, I've, I've had this encounter with God, this face-to-face with God. And that's what all of us have to do at some point. You can keep running. God's going to keep pursuing. Why? Is it because he's a stalker? No, it's because he loves you. It's because he's pursuing you, because he has a plan for you in your life that he desires so much to see you experience what he wants you to experience in, his, in, in your life. That he has his very best for you, and he's waiting for you to come to the end of yourself. He's waiting. When you get to that place, he steps in, and then you're in your wrestling match. When you get to that place where at the end of yourself, he says, all right, now I can do some business with you. Now I can go to work on these character defects. Now you, you can clearly see that your way has not been working. It's not been working. In fact, because of my grace, in fact, no matter how much you've messed up, I still just love you. I want to ask you, do you believe this? Going into 2014, do you believe that God desires the best for you? Do you know he does? You are his son and his daughter. Don't you love to bless your kids? He wants to bless you. He desires to bless you. It takes your cooperation with him and allowing through your submission to him to come and work in your life. And the first thing God did for Jacob was give him a new name, a new identity, a new label, if you will. He said, this is who you've been. You've been cheater. You've been deceiver. The word Israel, it's actually a, a word that's a pun. It, it, it means this. It, it, it means a, a warrior of God. That's what it's two meanings. A warrior of God, which he was fighting with God at this point, okay? And it also means this, it means prince of God. He said, I am changing your name from cheater and deceiver to prince of God. This is what God does in our life, right? This is what he does with us in spite of all of our garbage. He says, in spite of what you have been and who you have been, this is who you are now. You are a new creation of mine. 
you have a new identity. You carry yourself as an adopted son of mine, as an, as an heir, joint heir with Jesus Christ. When God wants to change you, he starts with the way that you see yourself. And so he's saying, your name is different. You're going to be different. 31 says, the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injuries to his foot. What's that all about? Uh, let me close with this. God gave Jacob, in the closing moments of this wrestling match, God gave Jacob a, a nice, friendly little love tap on the hip, stock tip. What had Jacob been great at besides deceiving all of his life? Running. And God is going to touch him at the greatest part or the greatest strength in his life to remind him when he maybe gets ready to run again. He's going to be walking like Festus, right? All right, from Gunsmoke. Boy. And, and when he gets ready to run, he's going to be reminded by God through the injury and through the wound that God gave him that you must depend on me for blessing. That's what God does. Do we not have a tendency to forget? And so we start trying to take, we might relinquish all this to God. You may do this today and within a couple of weeks, as we often do with our resolutions or whatever we make. And then what do we start doing? We start kind of taking it all back and we just do whatever we want to do. And, and next thing you know, you know, and, and, and what happens here is God's going to remind him. God's going to give him a little reminder. And he's going to limp the rest of his life with this wound. He's not going to run. He's not going to run. He's going to remain in the presence of God. God's going to bless his family greatly. What is the great story of Jacob? The great lesson of Jacob here is the lesson is that you don't have to stay in limbo. God will work in your life. He can change it. He can change Jacob. He can change anybody. If God could love Jacob with all of his hang-ups and love this family he can love me with all of my problems and all of my, my messed up character flaws. God loves you. And he's pursuing you. And you may be at the point where you're at the crisis today. God's wanting to step into your life and begin to do a work in your life that you don't have to be saved. He's made it up to you. Some of you may be at that crisis point in your life. Some of you, maybe you're at the commitment phase. You've already been through the crisis, and now you're kind of holding on, and maybe you're ready to give up, and God may just be urging you today just to hang in there. Just keep holding on. You may need today to come to a place of confessing before Him just some things that you're just not pleased with about yourself and your life. God already knows them about you, and He still loves you. He's wanting you to come to a place of acknowledging it before him, before he begins to bring about change in your life. I have to tell you, I, I had one of the hardest things I ever had to do was to tell God, I am a glutton. And a lot of times, you know, in our trap series, we talked about, you know, that and how a lot of times for me, I just wanted to overlook that sin in my life. That, well, it's not as bad as this or as bad. But for me, it was gluttony. It was an idol in my life. I had to acknowledge that before. This is what I've been, God. This is sin in my life. And I had to confess that. And I still have to confess it on a regular basis. Not that I'm a glutton, but that I struggle with it. And that, God, this is what I confess now. This is not who I am now, this is who I am in you now, now this is, this is starting to creep back in, God, I, I surrender it to you again, confession, you may be at that place of confession, some of you, it may be that you need to start cooperating and let him step in, and just surrender it to him, if you would just say, Pastor Barb, would you just begin to pray with me today, as God takes me through this process, I just need prayer today to have courage to face whatever it is I need to face. have never come to a place where you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. He 
wants to give you a new name, no matter what your past, he's died for all of your sins. If you believe in him, if you trust in him, he will make you one of his sons, one of his daughters. And by God's grace, through faith, you are saved. You might just pray and say, dear God, save me. Lord, I'm at the end of myself. Lord, I've tried it my way. Now, Jesus, I want you to be in my life. Be my Savior. I want to follow you, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to walk in a brand new life by changing life. I want that in my life. God, I thank you for your grace. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that lifted their hands today. And, Lord, they're in a place of maybe crisis in their life. I ask, God, that you would work in their life. That you would step in and minister to them right now. Show them that same grace that you showed Jacob, Lord. You didn't, you didn't push him at that spot, Lord. You allowed him to keep living. You allowed him, God, even though you gave him a wound to be reminded by, you allowed him to go forward and receive the blessing that you had for him. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. Encourage their hearts. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking into our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, I love you guys. Amen.